Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, about last night, the first GOP debate is in the books, and I've got a lot to say. Tommy Lahren is fearless starts right now. And I can tell you this, as your president, I will never let the deep state bureaucrats lock you down. You don't take somebody like Fauci and coddle him. Your claim that Donald Trump is motivated by vengeance and grievance would be a lot more credible if your entire campaign were not based on vengeance and grievance against one man. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. And I find it offensive that we have professional politicians on the stage that will make a pilgrimage to Kiev, to their Pope, Zelensky. We need education in this country, not indoctrination in this country. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. And if God made you a man, you play sports against men. So to sum up last night for you, Pence and Christie hate Donald Trump. Nikki Haley loves Ukraine. Senator Scott faded into the abyss. No one cares about Burgum or Hutchinson. Ron DeSantis started off slow and picked up steam. And everyone, except for Trump, hates Vivek. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. I know, I know a lot better than you do. You've never done it like you've never done anything to try to advance the interests of this government except to put yourself forward as a candidate tonight. So you the reality make America is, less safe. You have no foreign me, policy experience, and it shows. And you know what? The, the foreign policy experience that you have. All right, I'm going to give you my final thoughts on the night in just a bit. But first, I want to bring in my friend and fellow Fox News contributor, Joe Concha. All right, Joe. So I want to start off with how everyone hates uh, Vivek. So I wasn't expecting that. That spiciness wasn't on my bingo card, but it just really seemed like everyone was gunning for Vivek. I thought it was going to be Ron DeSantis, but I was wrong. What are your thoughts? I think it shows that Vivek Ramaswamy has momentum right now, Tommy, right? You look at the polling, and when he entered the race, he was at 0%. No one really knew who he was, despite being one of the youngest billionaires in the country, all self-made, by the way, those billions. And we see the climb. He's at 1%. He's at 4 He's at 7 Now he's in double digits. And people, I think, more see, and people being at least his competitors, uh, as far as Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, and Chris Christie, if you want to call him even a competitor, uh, see him with the momentum right now and perhaps him as more the second place guy than Ron DeSantis. Now, that said, the Florida governor, I thought, did very well last night. He was solid. He's not there to be spectacular and he's not there to be an entertainer. He's a guy who has a record to run on in Florida, whether that's 
crime at a 50-year low in that state, whether it's the fact that more people are moving to Florida, more businesses are moving to Florida than any other state in the country. There's a reason for that. And a guy could obviously win, won by nearly 20 points in November, winning blue counties like Palm Beach County and and uh, and, and others. So all that said, I, I think right now, the loser last night, if we're going to call it that, was Donald Trump. I think he missed out on a glorious opportunity to have a big, big stage. The numbers are starting to come in. We're seeing about 11 million people tuned into this debate, meaning that it was one of the most watched events of the year that wasn't a sporting event. And Donald Trump keeps saying, well, I shouldn't be on the stage with all these JV guys. I'm polling 40, 50 points ahead of him. Why should I be there and be attacked? But he's looking at it from a short-term perspective, Tommy. If he used that platform last night, to make a general election argument to suburban women and to Hispanics and to disgruntled Democrats, he would have got a long way, I think, in, in, in doing that. So overall, I think there weren't too many bad performances last night. I think Chris Christie without Trump there to go after looked like a guy who should not be on that stage because as a guy who lives in New Jersey, I can tell you, he left my state as governor with 15% approval. So, you know, Chris Christie, eight years ago, wasn't going to get the nomination. He's certainly not going to get it now. So, so he came up empty, I thought, in many situations. Vivek Ramaswamy, however, this is a guy that the other candidates, I think, are afraid of, or at least see him as Donald Trump's vice presidential pick, which I could completely see happening. Okay, well, he's already said, I know Vivek tends to wish wash on this back and forth as he does a lot of things, but he says he's not running to be vice president. So maybe that'll change next week, who knows? But do you think that there's something to it? I know that Vivek says all the right things. I mean, he certainly has definitive positions. Last night he performed very well, but that's what it feels like for me. It feels like a performance. He used a lot of lines that were very Obama-esque, even some Trump lines that, you know, he's the outsider, which annoyed me. But do you think that there's some aspect of Vivek's rise that hinge on the fact that Donald Trump has not gone after him? And in fact, he kind of feels like a Donald Trump sucker fish? Like one of those sucker fish that clings onto a great white shark because that's kind of how Vivek is coming off at least to me I did not have that fish on my bingo card Tommy so so good job as far as uh, this segment is concerned uh look Donald Trump praised Vivek Ramaswamy last night right he said oh he's speaking the truth why did he praise Vivek because Vivek said that Donald Trump is the best president of the 21st century which when you consider there's only been you know uh, four uh okay uh that that that's fine but uh, that that's why you don't see Trump really go after Ramaswamy that much and Ramaswamy not really go after Trump all that much because perhaps there's a mutual admiration society going on there where ultimately they will be a ticket I, I think overall the reason why Ramaswamy is resonating is yes he gives a good speech I had to follow him doing a speech down in Florida one time. And I remember walking up on stage to the people that were organizing it and saying, wait, you're making me go after him because he really is passionate and he really knows how to deliver uh, a message, certainly. But I think overall, it's this distrust in government, the swamp, all these things where people yearn for outsiders. And since he's never been in politics before, was in business like Trump, made a billion dollars, like I said, perhaps that's what what's appealing uh, to so many Trump supporters and people on the right is that he's not part of the establishment in any way, shape or form. Then again, I don't think Ron DeSantis is part of the establishment, too. But you see the way that people try to portray him that are Trump supporters. Oh, he's just another reincarnation of Jeb Bush. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, and certainly his record, as I mentioned, uh, he could stand on. So overall, this is where we're at at this point. We might not see Donald Trump in any of the debates, Tommy, by the way. He's saying I won't be at any of the debates. And he said that plural. And what that's going to do, yeah. and sorry to go off on a tangent here a little bit, is that Joe Biden now has an excuse not to 
perhaps debate Donald Trump if he's the nominee, just like Katie Hobbs didn't debate Kari Lake in Arizona saying, oh, you know what? This person's so beneath me. He doesn't deserve a platform with me. I'm not going to show up. And suddenly, so we're going to have Donald Trump and Joe Biden not debating and Trump not debating anybody. And we're doing coronations instead of nominations and people having to earn votes. And that's my lament uh, from from all of this at this point, Tommy. So since you're talking about Trump, we'll get into it a little bit. I want to take a a little bit of time to discuss Trump because there's a couple things here. First of all, we know from a a Politico report, I believe it was, that the Trump team was in Milwaukee, or at least Trump surrogates were in Milwaukee. We know Marjorie Taylor Greene heads up the Donald Trump fan club. She was in Milwaukee, and there were reports that there were other Trump surrogates that were kind of whining and dining members of the establishment media who you would think seemingly hate Donald Trump, but that they were trying to maybe get them to turn against Ron DeSantis. So I want to know your thoughts on that, because, you know, for someone who goes after the fake news media, every other word, Donald Trump, uh, I thought that was an interesting little report there. Yeah. And I thought since these candidates have no shot, all the ones that were in Milwaukee, why did so many surrogates have to be there to defend Donald Trump if the debate didn't mean anything? And these guys have and girls have no chance as far as the nomination is concerned. As far as the whining and dining of media, look, it's it's a love-hate uh, relationship. Uh, that Donald Trump has with the media. He wants to be loved by them, particularly folks at the New York Times and CNN, believe it or not. So when you saw that Politico report, most of the people that were on that list that claimed to be journalists, like Dana Bash, for instance, of CNN, uh, they were at that dinner uh, being stenographers, I guess, at this point for, for the Trump campaign, because while probably Obviously, from a personal perspective, they're liberal. They will never accept a Republican in the White House, particularly Donald Trump. They also know that without Donald Trump, their jobs may be in jeopardy because he's literally uh, one of the one reasons why people may tune in to watch CNN at this point, to hate watch and hear the resistance go after him. And you take Donald Trump off the stage, it's like taking Tony Soprano off the Sopranos. uh, The the show just isn't as interesting, uh, good, bad and ugly. So I, I think that's the thing. This media wants Donald Trump to be the nominee because obviously that's great for clicks and great for ratings. Uh, but at the same time, they don't want him to win. So they'll walk up to that line like Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski did in 2015, 2016. You remember that they they completely bear hugged the guy until he was a threat to actually win. And then they turned on him. That's how it's going to work here. If Trump's the nominee, then all this. I'm not going to say favorable coverage because it's not favorable, but all this coverage towards Trump will suddenly become especially hostile. Uh, And then even if it's Ron DeSantis, it'll be hostile anyway. If you're a Republican, it's hostile. If you're Joe Biden, it's hospitable. Oh, by the way, we barely talked about the sitting president, haven't we? Because all the focus is on Donald Trump indictments and debates while Joe Biden is polling lower than any president in polling history at this stage of his first term, Tommy. Well, I think that's an important thing to note, though, because during the Democratic debates, I know it feels like eons ago, but during the Democratic debates leading up to 2020, Joe Biden was not the most popular guy on Twitter, right? He wasn't the most entertaining one on the stage, but he ended up being the nominee and then the president. So I think that that is food for thought for my fellow conservatives, that the average American out there that's not sitting on Twitter... They might not be all about flash. They might be more about results. So once again, I feel like Ron DeSantis is our guy. But I don't have you for much longer, Joe. I want to talk about this one thing I think is important when it comes to a general election. Someone Mm -hmm. surprised me last night with a very great answer on abortion, and that was Nikki Haley. I want to take a listen for those who missed it. 
First of all, I will say it is in the hands of the people and that's where it should be. But when, when you're talking about a federal ban, be honest with the American people. We haven't honest. had 45 pro-life senators in over 100 years. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70 percent of the American people support legislation. So, Joe, I thought that, that was important, and I didn't expect it from Nikki Haley because I don't really like her, but she made mm. a very good point about abortion. You know, it's really easy for conservatives to talk about being pro-life and they love life and, and all this, but when it comes down to the brass tacks of it, that we're not going to get a federal abortion ban. So them talking about it to me is virtue signaling, and I don't like it. What do you think of Nikki Haley's response, and do you think it's going to do well for her? Completely. I, we remember all those years when Republicans would uh, vote to repeal and replace Obamacare, knowing that it would get shot down in the Senate. It would definitely be vetoed by the president who was Barack Obama at the time. But they did it because it was symbolic. As you said, it was virtue signaling. It was, ah, see, we tried, but and that's what's going on here with Pence, where he talks about a federal ban on abortions. It's not happening. A, the Supreme Court just ruled it should go back to the states, therefore back to the voters of those states. And the Republican messaging on abortion, Tommy, is all over the map. You have Ron DeSantis in Florida, Kim Reynolds in Iowa signing legislation saying, banning it basically after six weeks of pregnancy. Then you have Donald Trump saying, no, I think the sweet spot is 15 weeks, which is basically the beginning of a second trimester. And then you have Pence saying, no, there should be a federal ban. You have Lindsey Graham talking about federal bans. Until they have a cohesive message on this, Democrats can own the narrative. The narrative is this, 28% of Americans, just 28%, less than one in three, support abortion after the first trimester because the baby can feel pain. And at that point, you're at 13, 14, 15 weeks, and either you're going to have the abortion or you're not. If they settle on 15 weeks and then say, hey, America, do you support babies being aborted in the second and third trimester? An overwhelming majority will say no, and then the narrative will turn on Democrats. But until that happens, you're going to have what we saw in the 2022 midterms, which was Democrats running on this issue, successfully getting people out to the polls through fear mongering, while Republicans don't have a cohesive, streamlined message on it. They got to get their act together. I couldn't agree with you more, Joe. I know you've got a busy day. You're a popular man. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. God bless you, and I'll see you soon, my friend. Thank you, Tommy. See you soon. Probably on a set somewhere on the weekend, I hope. The big weekend show. Let's get back together. Get the band back together. Thanks so much, Joe. Okay. The election of Joe Biden in 2020 taught us two things. The most popular candidate on Twitter isn't necessarily the one that's going to get elected. And two, we really cannot afford to lose again. I'm going to give you my no BS analysis because it's time for final thoughts. So I'm going to throw this out there and feel free to disagree as always, but I'm getting really sick and tired of hearing my fellow Republicans on social media in particular talk about how the debate was boring. Boring? Debates are not bravo after dark, folks. Debates are not a housewives reunion. Running our country is not a reality show. To gauge everything by how exciting or spicy it is is a big mistake. I get it. 
No one is Donald Trump. No one is as entertaining as he is. No one captivates an audience like he does. I know it and you know it. He set the bar for political entertainment. And if every election from here on out is based around entertainment value, well, we aren't going to have any many candidates to choose from. And I hate to break it to you, Trump isn't going to live forever. We're going to have to start casting for candidates. And I don't see that going well. You know, I like to be entertained too, but more so I like to be led and inspired. America's Got Talent is a reality show, but leading America away from the edge of the cliff is going to be the job of our next nominee and God willing, our next president. But we have to win to do that. So as you think about last night's debate and you look forward to the primary season, the next debates, the general election, I'm asking you to think long and hard about what you're actually looking for whose record is the strongest, who has done the things the others just talk about. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that leaves two, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Now, I want you to think about 2020 and how we lost 2020. Regardless of what you think about election integrity, I get it, the fact remains, Trump is not our president, he was not elected in 2020. Then I want you to think about the 2022 midterms. They didn't go well for Trump's picks. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth of the matter and I gotta be honest. But then there's Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida. Florida not only went red, like very red, but DeSantis won by nearly 20 points and he won Miami-Dade County. A Republican has not won that county since 2002. If that's not a bellwether, I don't know what is. That victory was what turned my head towards Ron DeSantis. I am a supporter of Donald Trump and I always have been, but I'm not satisfied with losing in 2024 and then spending the next four years whining about it. That's just not gonna do it for me. And I get a lot of you don't like Ron DeSantis now. You did for the last five years, you did during COVID when you said make America Florida, but now you think he's a rhino because some people on Truth Social and Marjorie Taylor Greene said so. But it's really hard for me to buy that the man who served his country in the United States military has been a faithful husband and loving father to three, a leader in Congress and a phenomenal governor who has fought COVID tyranny and mandates, taken on woke Disney, taken on and defeated CRT and LGBTQ grooming in schools, signed a heartbeat bill, bust illegals to blue cities, fired activist DAs, supported and funded law enforcement and won his state by nearly 20 points, including a historic win in Miami-Dade, is somehow a rhino because he, cho he chose to run against Donald Trump. Y'all are going to vote the way you want to vote. You're going to do what you want to do, and you should. It's your vote. It's your right. But what I'm asking of you is to take a step back and answer this question honestly. If Trump couldn't win in 2020 and his candidates, by and large, couldn't sweep 2022, can Trump win in 2024? And are you willing to take the risk? I'm going to leave you with that. Those are my final thoughts. Don't forget to watch the Outkick Fox News special on Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on Fox News from New York City. God bless and take care.